Welcome to the Art Stays Here Coalition's new podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. In the series, we'll hear from folks affected by the ongoing arts, music, and cultural displacement that's happening across the country. These include artists, musicians, and other creatives, as well as developers, policymakers, funders, operators, arts and cultural leaders, and more. They will share their stories in their own voices to best communicate the impact that cultural displacement has had on individuals and communities and how we can choose to make it stop. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art Stays Here podcast. We have folks here from 119 Braintree Street in Alston. And um, we'll just introduce ourselves, talk about the art or business practice that we have and how long we've been at the studio. And I'll start by saying I'm Amy Bennett. I am a uh, volunteer member of the Art Stays Here Coalition. My name's Wayne Stratman. I own Stratman Design. I've been at uh, 119 Braintree Street for five years, although I've been in the city of Boston uh, as a working artist for 40 years. Um, I work in a very unusual art form. I'm, I work in light-up glass, make displays for museums around the world, um, do backgrounds for movie sets and private sculpture as well. I'm Kristen Goodfriend. I have been part of the Boston art scene for a long time. I used to work at the Boston Phoenix as their creative director. I've uh, since um, gone off on a freelance route, and I am still working in publication design as a graphic designer and art director. And I've been at Braintree since, I believe, 2017, and also part of... um, the organization's um, Alston Open Studios. I am Lisa Lobel. I am the owner and casting director of Boston Casting. We have been at 119 Braintree for over 20 years. We run an acting school for um, local actors and performers, as well as casting for film, TV, and commercials. I'm David Jackal. I'm a partner at Shave. We are a creative video production company, and we've been at 119 Braintree Street since uh, 2009. And over that time, we've grown from, we were initially in the smallest space they have, and now we actually have three suites on the fourth floor. Hi, I'm Ethan Dussault, uh, head engineer at New Alliance Audio in Somerville, Mass., and I'm here as a volunteer with the Art Stays Here Coalition. Great, thanks. So first, why don't we um, just give folks an idea about the building, the space, kind of where is it, what is it, how many floors, um, you know, kind of what you what you get when you walk in. Kristen? Yeah, 119 Braintree has, is kind of a unique building. Um, it's got five floors of mostly artist space, and then I believe the top two floors are dedicated office space, like larger suites. Um, what's really great about the building is the variety of different spaces that it has, and uh, they're able to serve a lot of different needs. There's some suites that have kitchens in them. Um, there's been photographers who've, who've been there, high ceilings. There's obviously Boston Casting has been there, so it's, um, it's really hard to replicate what that building gives us. Wayne, Lisa? 
Yes, it also has got wonderful supporting facilities that artists need. We need to have parking, we have loading docks, we have commercial elevators, uh, and there's an outstanding maintenance staff there that uh, bends to our every need. Uh, anytime you need something done, they, they snap to and do a marvelous job. Um, it's um, sprinklered, um, high ceilings, uh, solid construction um, overall. So if you're doing semi-light industrial type work, it's fantastic. Yeah, the location has been great for us. It's, you know, right so right you know, in the city, outside the city, but, you know, it's easy to get to from all the major highways, along with the parking, public transportation. It seems like no matter where you live in the state, you you can easily get in there. And uh, just for folks to know, we're talking about Lower Alston. Um, there's a lot of development going there right now all around with um, Harvard and the area. And, um, you know, 119 is not the only... Uh, building that's being redeveloped the whole area the whole neighborhood the whole there's there's a lot between boston landing um there's lots of change going on there now um how do you guys feel about alston brighton and kind of the neighborhood the community the personality who's all there like how do you do you just go there and work or do you you know go to restaurants and have you met neighbors like what what it has Alston and and also how is Alston Brighton changing in your eyes I used to live in Alston before I moved out um, to Somerville and I've always loved Alston but I've seen since I lived there many years ago I've seen lots of changes obviously um, for me, coming back to 119 Braintree Street was a way to reconnect with Alston as a community and spend more time there again. Uh, it's Even with all the development going on right now, there's still some of that grungy old personality that I always loved about it. Um, there seems to be a place for everyone still, although you know it remains to be seen with all the development how that's going to change things. But there's great restaurants. It's a really great location. Um, public transportation to get downtown is really fast. And um, it's, yeah, it's a really great location to have a business. And um, the community at 119 Braintree Street was one of the major draws also for me to move into the building. Hmm. Yeah, I personally like the blue-collar feeling. There's a lot of small businesses on Harvard. Yeah, in particular, you see all these ethnic restaurants and small framing shops and hardware stores. And it, it just it's a wonderful feeling that's very approachable as opposed to many of the other parts of the city with nothing but big glass and steel high-rises. And they've got semi-retail spaces, but they're not like Alston Brighton that really is a unique community we love it and uh, exploring new restaurants all the time and meeting very very interesting people in that town at, at Boston Casting we call it LA Lower Alston <laughs> it's our yeah. little LA David yeah uh, well seconding what everybody else has said I think the location was of course a huge draw for us because no matter where we lived and I lived in Alston actually for many years uh, it brought us very close to our clients so clients could easily get here um, we would have clients come into our studio and people would always say it's so easy to get to you there's parking it's 10 minutes from my office that that will be, that would be hard to replicate and uh, the community itself both within the building when we had uh, full occupancy and also the surrounding area was always a fun mix of different types of creative people um, i spent many years as a as a musician in alston and i would go from my office here to down to like great scott or o'brien's it was fantastic 
David, I didn't um, know that about you being a musician, and um, I, we, I don't have on our list of questions here to talk about the Sound Museum, but you know that's um, also part of the um, arts and music displacement story. But that's also for me um, a lot of what Alston Rock City was, and um, oh yes, etc. Yes, right now actually, our practice we moved from. Um, Studio 52 to uh, 119 Braintree Street. So I have a practice space in one of the suites here. Oh, we'll have to talk more about that. So can you talk a little bit about the relationship with the building ownership, the Blank family, Michael Blank? I've heard such wonderful things about him as a landlord, and I know that he helped out the artist during the pandemic, and um, he's always been involved with the neighborhood. Um, and they also operate their real estate business out of 119 Braintree Street. So would you guys uh, see management a lot over the years? And can you talk about that at all, David? Yes. In all our time here, it's been fantastic. They've been responsive and kind. They've maintained this building in a, in a really incredible way. And even you know, even, even after the announcement, uh, they continue to do And I, I feel like losing the blanks, will be a, that'll be a big loss for us. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I think I have a pretty good relationship with Michael Blank. I go up there quite often, and he's very, very, very open. Come on in, sit down, and um, he's been supportive of everything. During the pandemic, he couldn't have been better. Um, we've got no problems with him except uh, the thought of losing he and his staff. That's uh, That would be a big loss. Yeah, I agree. Over, over two decades, they've been amazing uh, landlords, very small rent increases, you know, very fair. And um, it's, it's, I think we didn't even know how good we had it. <laughs> That's the sad part. Yeah, very true. And also every year they would contribute. I don't remember what the dollar amount was, but they would contribute towards funding towards Alston Open Studios, which enabled us to uh, get the word out, you know, advertising budget and also... Um, just help pay for the staff on the weekends and stuff like that. So this is a big part in helping that to continue happening. Speaking of Alston Open Studios, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of 119's role in that over time? Well, as I understand it, Alston Open Studios used to maybe be more of a community-wide event, but spaces disappeared over the years. Um, and... By the time that I got to 119 Braintree, that was it, pretty much. Um, it was that building and then the designer circus at 1 Braintree Street. Two locations, and I started volunteering with them my first year in the building in 2017. And uh, I believe the next year we started talking about trying to open it up more into the broader Alston community and got a little bit of traction there, but I would say that the open studios has still been centered at 119 Braintree Street for the past several years. But they have opened the building up to outside artists. So the, the corridors were filled with artists, and it was a great opportunity to meet people we normally wouldn't have come in contact with and who have no other uh, place to show their, their wares except the once-a-year uh, opportunity at Braintree. So it's been, it's been good for them and for us. Great. Anyone have anything else to share about open studios and the value of that and David? We've enjoyed seeing it, but we, we didn't really participate because of the nature of our work. Right. Makes sense. Okay. I would just say, just add that um, for me, 
part of the appeal with the joining the Austin Open Studios community was that it was an opportunity to get to know the other artists in the building. And it really did for me build that sense of community that's been, you know, big draw for, for me to stay in the building over the years. Great. Thank you. Um, so now let's move to when you first found out that the building was going to be redeveloped and how you learned about it and what your initial reactions were. Lisa? I, the first I heard was there was a Zoom right at the very beginning of COVID. I, and we were home maybe a, a week and um, there was a PowerPoint of photos and drawings of this new space that was going to be built. And um, I, it was a little bit hard to digest because we were just learning of this deadly pandemic and we couldn't go back into the building and we couldn't work. So it's strange to think back <laughs> to that time. I think, you know, we were sort of like, do we still have a business? <laughs> and and now we have this on top of it. Um, yeah, it was a lot. It was it was a shock for sure. Yeah, it was, um, I don't think people knew what to think. It felt like a like a gut punch in a way. It was really disheartening to to think of this community that we've all kind of grown to love being disbanded. And also what was almost worse was not knowing when anything would happen. And here we are, you know, years later and we're still in the building. But at the time we really had no idea how quickly things would move and when we'd need to get out of there. So that really, um, I think that had a big impact on a lot of people in the building. Mm -hmm. David? Uh, for us, it was a, a double gut punch, to use someone else's term, because we had just fought a multi-year battle at the Piano Factory, um, which is a, a noted uh, artist building in the South End, and we lost spectacularly there, and we got thrown out, and so he had just moved in, and during the interviews with uh, the folks at Braintree, we brought up, you're not planning on redeveloping, are you? And we were told, no, no, it's no plans. And it was very shortly after we heard that there was plans. And obviously, uh, when we saw the plans, they must have been going on for some time. Now, maybe the person we talked to just didn't know about them. Uh, we don't know. But um, he said, oh, no. I, we it took us about eight months of daily moving and resetting up and over $60,000, you know, uh, out of a small budget of our business to move to Braintree, only to find out that we're going to have to do this again. That's terrible. Um, yeah. David? Yeah. I had a very similar experience, actually. So I, I had, uh, I'd say shortly before the pandemic started, I had asked someone in the building, you folks don't have any plans for redeveloping the space, do you? And I was assured that they did not. So again, that was, I was, what I was told was not true. Um, and then I heard through the grapevine about the plans. Um, and I thought that it wasn't, I, I didn't, I, I had, then I didn't hear anything else. And then I thought, okay, maybe this isn't really happening. And then the email went out from the building and I realized that it was true. Hmm. So uh, what happened then? Did you guys gather? Did you organize? So that was during the pandemic. So meaning people were probably not on site. People were at home. People were dealing with the pandemic in your, your own lives, families, children, health, businesses, getting groceries. What, what happened, if anything, about people talking to each other? All I remember is that because we weren't in the building and, you know, artists are notoriously not good at organizing, 
uh, we didn't really communicate with each other too much. Um, we kind of got, I believe we got another update from the the management team at some point. I don't remember exactly when, but it took us a while. To, I think it was not until the Art Stays Here Coalition stepped in that we really um, got the the push we needed to get more organized and, and start really working together. Is that your understanding, Wayne, Lisa? <clears throat> well, I, I, I can honestly say we, we panicked uh, and started immediately looking all over. And it looked at one point like we were going to have to leave the state completely because we could not find other artist spaces that were affordable. So um, actually made plans and put down a deposit on a place out of state. Um, but then the, the blanks uh approached me and said, what if we, you know, help with your rent in for a while and uh, it's not going to happen right away. And that changed my mind. I, I lost my deposit, but I stayed and I'm very thankful that I did because it would have been a ruinously difficult commute to go out of state from where I live right now. Yeah. Well, and you've been there a long time since. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if I'm proud of this, but we chose to ignore it and just focused on the pandemic (laughs) and and we just it it was too much um to deal with all of that so we just kind of made this conscious effort to ignore the building part of it knew we had a little bit of time and then try to reconfigure our business for covid times and then we knew we could then try to tackle the location after that which i uh, honestly i still don't think we really have (laughs) we're just like head in the sand well that um brings us uh, this is not a question that i prepared but wayne uh we've talked about this a lot in terms of artists typically and creative small businesses and especially during the pandemic you know it takes kind of all of your energy and time and effort to manage and run your businesses, et cetera, during a pandemic, the idea of trying to figure out moving or organizing or uh, dealing with any of that is really uh, a tall order. It's extraordinarily stressful. I mean, the past three years, I've lived with this heightened daily anxiety over this every day, every night. And I I try everything, meditation, everything to get beyond this, but you know, it's so impactful. And, um, yeah, we were running to stay in the same place to, you know, pay the overhead as it is now. And the thought of a lot of the places I've been looking at, I'm looking at enormous increases in rent. Mm-hmm. I mean, far beyond our means mm-hmm. to the point where it makes much more sense to, to shut down, which after 40 years of trying to keep this business alive, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. I'm finding rents are about double for equal space, um, which is unaffordable. Mm-hmm. David? Uh, same here. We've looked around and what we've found that would be affordable is really not in the right type of location. I mean, this we cannot beat this space. Um, I, I, would it shut us down? No, we will pivot. But it will be painful and costly. And I don't, I don't know in the long term what the outcome would be. Does anyone want to share any of the uh, conversations that were had with ownership or development in terms of how they could be supportive uh, into the new development? Were there meetings held? Were there conversations had? They talked about creating a makerspace in the new development. Can we share some of that? Well, the spaces they originally, I think, had in the plan was a loose idea of 
carving out a space in a laboratory-type building that uh, unanimously, when it was presented to the artists in a, in a meeting, a group meeting, said this is not appropriate. We can't go into glassed-in boxes in in a formal laboratory building. It's just not appropriate for people who actually work with their hands and build things, and we be maybe making dust and noise and the typical things that artists uh, do. So we rather rejected they are, that idea. Then, then the the developer uh, for the blanks showed us, I think it was three spaces, uh, none of which was very appropriate, none of which checked most of the boxes of what we needed, and they sort of just stopped after that. There were you mean no they're, re- they're realtor? Now, now you're talking about something different, Well, through right? their development company, yeah. they're a realtor that works okay. for them, yeah. And um, the spaces were quite difficult and not appropriate, no loading docks, no elevators, you know, complicated stairways basement spaces without any light, things like that. And so, but it stopped after. It, um, I think they thought, they found it as difficult as we found it to find alternative spaces. Okay. Um, does anyone else have anything they want to share about either communications with the blanks or Bracken or artist meetings or what any of you thought about being included in the new development? I just remember that I at some point, they said that there'd be only maybe two or three different spaces available for artists in the building. And that is not a community. That's That says to me, oh, well, maybe a couple of you can stay if you can manage to work out of these spaces, which wasn't even clear what those would be, but that the community would, would just wouldn't be able to be preserved in any meaningful way. And it would also be years away. So you you would have to relocate for many years before you even could think about if you wanted to go back. So it didn't seem to really make sense. The interim. Yeah. There's a whole conversation about the interim. So some other things that I've been curious about, you know, the coalition has been learning about and getting involved with the Boston Planning and Development Agency's um, Article 80 process. And I'll just give a little spiel of my understanding of that. So in the city of Boston, and cities are different. Somerville, Cambridge, you know, every, every city has a different uh, development and planning body, policies, process, etc. But in this case, because 119 Braintree Street is being redeveloped, it must go through the Article 80 process in the city of Boston. And with that process are various checkpoints, various meetings, community meetings, um, an impact advisory group, set of meetings, um, public comment, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And I guess I'd like to kind of get your understanding of: Did the city? Did the blanks? Did Bracken Development? Did anyone? City Council? Did you know that there was a process? Did you know how to be involved with the process? Did you know you could, should, would? Let's talk about that for a minute. Well, I would just say that they. Uh, the blanks and the management company, uh, the development team, whoever it was, did point us in the direction of a website with all the information that we could possibly need. But uh, if I'm being honest, I'm not going to go there and just like go through all this stuff myself. I don't have time to wade through that. It would have been much more helpful if someone would just sit down and explain <laughs> what's going on. But so I feel like they they did cover their bases by put, make, making that information available. Um, so just, that was probably um, through the BPDA website. There's a what, one web page per development property. So that exists. That's probably what you're talking about. 
I think so. I don't know if there was a second website that was just they more also created for the, their for the own development yeah, I think website. They did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the information was there, but then again, we were all not together. We we're not looking to get you know collectively. It would have been much better if we had had a meeting to go over everything. I think it would have increased my understanding of the process. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I'd say I didn't really start to understand things until. Uh, the Art Stays Here Coalition stepped in and, and said, we've been th- through this before and started to, to start explaining to us what we need to do and what we need to look for. So that's been hugely helpful. And Wayne, um, I want to kind of add a little bit to that question is that considering what you went through with the Piano Factory and the advocacy and work that you guys did try to stay, did you try to carry that over to Braintree Street or did you know about the Article 80 or what was your what were you thinking during that time? No, it was a slightly different situation at the piano factory. I, we, we carried over and in, in, we tried to organize, get everybody together. We've got a email list and we started being a central uh, locus of information. It's about the best we carried over from that other. Uh, unfortunately, I carried over a, a lot of cynicism of trying to work, in, even contact and even get a simple letter of support from the mayor's office or anyone else. Um, largely uh, online petitions, letters by all the tenants, nothing ever received a single answer. So that's the idea I carried with me. David? You know, to to be fair, uh, I probably wasn't the most responsive because I was focusing on trying to save my business during the pandemic and I had a baby. Um, But but I felt felt like um, there was minimal effort to to convey information in a way that would be useful to act upon. Um, and it wasn't until uh, we heard heard about from the coalition that we had an idea of how we could move forward, what our what our options might be. But the information that we had was, it, yes, we're directed to a website. That's not particularly helpful. Had you had any contact with Councillor Braden in her office uh, during that time? I had sent an email and never received a response. I sent multiple letters and emails, never got a response. And um, even when we did find out about the process, by the time we got onto the the Zoom calls and whatnot, most of us didn't know honestly what was going on, what the history was, how the process moved. And even when there was testimony, quite honestly, we found that the decks kind of stacked. A lot of the people who had vested interests were asked, you know, the union representatives of all the various unions gave testimony. This is the greatest idea going. And I think the artist's uh, comments were rather rather drowned out by some of these other people who had financial interests in this development. So what we've seen on the coalition working with various artist groups, including yours, is you have to, first of all, learn that there is a process, Article 80. You have to kind of understand where there's room for public or constituents to enter that process, how you do it, how it's effective, and then getting to the point of what you're saying is that even if you do, there's this whole other system where people during their day jobs, you know, if you're a construction worker, you're a union person, you're a architect, anyone involved in the cycle of development and the ecosystem of development, writing these letters and doing this kind of testimony, it's like something you do every single day. So learning about it, like we we were all behind the ball kind of to begin with. Yes. Let's move to a little bit of a different topic. Um, there's been some discrepancies about who is considered an artist in this building. 
And at different points, ownership has said publicly and to us that they don't consider it an artist building. And yes, there are some artists there, but that it's not an artist building. And this is subjective um, for on behalf of the coalition and the work that we do anti-arts music culture displacement. We consider an artist building is artists like your traditional artists, painters, photographers, etc., illustrators, and also creative small businesses. In some cases, artists are both like Kristen, I'm sure, you know, you are a graphic designer, you're a freelancer, and you probably have a small business. Yes. And I also uh, do, I do paint in my spare time. I don't uh, do a lot of it. But when I have time, it's been something I enjoy. And I, it's not something I could do in my house. I needed a space to do that. So my studio is not only a place where I could do my graphic design, but I could also keep all of my supplies, which take up space and also have you know, the nice lighting, the space to spread out and do other kind of creative work. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk about the people that, even if some folks have left, the types of creatives in the building and like, let's bat around creative small businesses, typical artists. Um, so David, uh, why don't you share a little bit about your business? Sure. So we are a creative video production company. We focus on telling short form stories for, usually it's for uh, for, for business, medium-sized businesses, but we've done all sorts of video production here. Uh, it, it, very much this, we consider ourselves to be artists and a creative small business. And we've had the opportunity to work with others who are like us in this building. There was a point where there were quite a few production companies here. Mm-hmm. Can, and um, Can you share the names of any of them or do you recall? Vagrants. I don't know if there's anything left of them here. Nash. Element was here a long time ago. There was Hunt and Gather. That was my first introduction to this building, actually, was I had a friend who worked there. They were a a digital design agency. And when I went to their office for the first time, I thought, this is is what I want to do. Like, you can be an artist and have a business. It's so cool. Um, They've since left as well. Mm-hmm. Scout Productions started there. The creators oh, yeah. of Queer Eye and pretty much everything on Bravo started their business at 119. I met some people last summer who uh, uh, designed guitar pedals. Um, I would consider that yes. a creative small business. Um, we had, there was candle making, there's um, mm-hmm. so, um, letterpress that was there for a long time, a couple different letterpresses, I think. Um, soaps Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, you can be creative in a lot of different ways this is the point you know like what what comes down to what is what is fine art versus Mm -hmm. what is art Mm -hmm. well you know we've hit a couple of roadblocks at new space we've looked at because we have acting classes which can get loud because actors are certainly artists and we've had space that we were almost going to take and they said oh no we can't have this kind of noise. We have a law firm and a dentist, and you can't be here. Um, so, you know, as the type of business we are, we can't just walk in anywhere, you know, because we're we're going to be making noise and, you know, creating and stuff. So, you know, along with that, it being a, a lot of spaces unaffordable, they also don't want us. You know, well, there's right. often a controversy that occurs in business, uh, buildings like this where they point to people and say, oh, no, you're not an artist, you're, you're business. Well, it's rather naive to think that uh, 
people who are in the arts don't have to make a living. I tell young artists who are building studios, you have, a, have to have a lot of stuff if you're a visual artist going out that door constantly to pay the overhead. And that's a reality. So it's creative work, and we are artists, but we have to produce a product, whether you know it's you know casting movies or graphic design. There's a lot of stuff that you have to deliver constantly to keep paying this overhead. So uh, don't mistakenly think that you have to be either or. Can you also talk about uh, the term light industrial and kind of share what, your, what you think that means and why it's important? Well, one thing, because uh, I've visited so many communities looking for alternative spaces, some communities have what they call an artist overlay to their local uh, rules and regulations. About where zoning. They, they recognize that we're maybe individuals or a small group and we're not companies, but most communities do not. The, the area we fall into is light industrial. Uh, so we're makers. So we're subject to all the laws that a light uh, manufacturer is subject to and some of them are so onerous and absolutely ridiculous for an artist you know monitoring all our wastewater and filing plans with the EPA and you know things to have you know I make tea every day and I wash my hands am I supposed to file a report four times a year about this I mean it becomes ridiculous so yes we, we unfortunately fall under light industrial but it really is not that applicable Great. Thank you. Um, so how has all of this, and let's just say it's been four years, is that right? Three and a half. Three and a half. Mm -hmm. um, how has this impacted you? And what I mean by that is your business, your creativity, your mindset. How has all of this impacted you? And uh, we'll start with David. Uh, it's, it's been a constant strain. It's like a, just another thing to be worrying about. Um, and it, it does keep me up at night. I think it's also made us fairly cynical about development. And it certainly has also opened our eyes about the downsides of the gentrification that's been going on. And, and we've, considered, we've considered relocating um, not just our business, but our home, feeling that we're just, this is not a place for us anymore. Wayne? Well, this is a topic I take deep to heart because the amount of anxiety it's caused. Uh, I've lost a great deal of my creativity. I don't want to make a lot of sculpture because I see that I'm going to have to move it somewhere. And um, I've also, uh, as a sideline, I've always been located near the elevators and the, the dumpsters and loading dock. And I, I, as I've seen people leave, I've gone out and talked to them. And about half the people who have left have taken all their equipment, their supplies, and a lot of their artwork and put it in the dumpster. And broken people, and I know other people have talked to the people have, have, as they've left, there's no place left to go. And uh, their dream is gone. And there's a human side to all this uh, redevelopment and pushing thousands of people who have made up our communities out of the community. Lisa? I, you know, I think for us, being in this space and knowing it's temporary, you're not really invested in it, right? You're not making it better. You're not doing the upkeep. You're not thinking about how, you know, we've always tried to like make it better, make it better. And now it's just kind of like flat, like we're just use it for the need and leave. But, you know, you don't. Yeah, like the creative juice of like how, what, what, you know, that excitement, it's just kind of like you go in and you leave and and you don't really have that creative excitement about the space. Kristen? Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. You know, for me, I have a different kind of business. I I can do my my business on a laptop. I don't need to have that space. For me, it was um, the the joy in finding a community with other artists. It's the energy, the creative energy that you feel being in a bus- in a building that's filled with creative people, um, and that has been taken away from us with this this whole development thing and all everything being up in the air. So all of that all the good things that just make you feel good about your work in general in the background have been kind of taken away. And can I, can I still function? Can we still function? Sure. But it's not going to be, you know, probably at the level that we were functioning before. Do you uh, all have colleagues and friends in other, let's say, artist community buildings? Do you have any anecdotes in terms of other people being displaced, other people having rent increases, um, gentrification? Let, let's talk about some, you know, we've been talking about 119 sure. Brain Trees specifically, but let's talk about the region and your thoughts on that, uh, David. Sure. Uh, well, one anecdote that comes to mind is I recently learned that a colleague of ours who was in a similar business had, had moved out uh, to a location in Cambridge uh, where he had to take on a, a substantial rent increase, and he just declared bankruptcy uh, a couple days ago. Hmm. Anyone else have friends and colleagues that are going through similar things? Um, friends all over the city. You know, uh, Somerville, Jamaica Plain, they're <laughs> dropping like flies, unfortunately. Uh, and if it's not immediately happening, like at the Boston Center for the Arts, you know, they're at one time, we were told they had to all move out and then petition to move back in. Things like that it leaves your 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 existence rad, rather tenuous, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. no matter where you go, the rents are going up, and uh, it makes it extremely difficult. Yeah, I've heard some stories about shared space that has kind of turned into nightmare to to keep it affordable, and um, that's not ideal either. Mm-hmm. Let's shift for a minute and let's talk about if you had this to do all over again knowing what you know now etc how might you have done it differently or similarly if you had friends or colleagues who were just beginning this process and were just told that development was going to happen to their artist space what might you tell them or I mean it's a pretty open-ended question but um sure David. Yeah. Um, I would have spoken with the owners directly, which I still haven't done, and asked them, you know, is there, can you find a way to work us in? Is, can you make a, a, a case to continue to, to have a home for artists? Does it have to be one or the other, or can you build something new and also continue what we have here? Because I would have fought harder at the beginning. We just, it was the, it was the beginning of the pandemic and it just wasn't the top priority, even though it was a massive headache. Meaning that potentially their uh, designs and ideas about the redevelopment could have included artist spaces. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, knowing now also how the commercial real estate market has changed since these plans were announced in 2020 and probably planned in 2018 or 2019, uh, they may not have the demand to fill the spaces that they're building. You know, right now this place has been sitting empty. If they had just kept us around, we we would have, everyone would still be here. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you guys share about, would you say that half the building is gone? Would you say more than half? Do you have a gauge on that? Really don't know. I can't really tell. All I know is that when I go in now, it's very quiet. And um, also How about the talking, parking lot? Yeah, the parking lot is way more empty than it used to be. Yeah, well, it feels very plus empty. The, the construction in the area, too. It's like there's construction all around, and sometimes you can't even get down the street. Mm-hmm. Um 
Yeah, it's it's been really, really yeah. disruptive. I know my floor is nearly empty down where I am. So it's significantly different. Significantly different. David answered the, what would you have done differently? Does anyone have any thoughts? I would say that I've learned the value of organizing, of being informed, <laughs> for sure. Those are things you don't think about when you're just operating your, your business. You just think about your business and you enjoy the community around you because everyone else you assume is just doing, you know, doing their business. But there's a real need to come together when something like this happens. And it's been like going through this process has been really educational. Yeah. You know, I think we would have had it not been the beginning weeks of the pandemic. Right. I think it was the the shock of that and trying to recreate a business and keep a business alive that you could no longer go in person just took over. You know, had it been before COVID, I feel like we all would have, you know, got together, met, chatted, you know, and really gotten each other's ideas and and come together. And nobody could nobody had the bandwidth for that at that time. Right. I was looking, when I came to Braintree, uh, I just left the piano factory, and there aren't a lot of spaces around even to to look at, and Braintree was, was a fluke, me finding it, and it was a godsend. Even if it, I knew it was only five years, I would have moved in. It was, it's been such a good building. It's, it is the perfect model. When the owners asked us, what are we looking for? I said, well, you're standing in the in the model of what we're looking for, exactly. And every single... Uh, artist I've talked to in the building says the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's funny. Um, some of us in the coalition who have been to, and I'm you guys probably too, have been to a whole bunch of different spaces. And we've heard that different folks think that the building is falling down and in huge disrepair. And, you know, I'm not a contractor and I'm not a building maintenance person. But compared to some of the other artist communities that we've seen, we, we've referred to Braintree Street as like ultimate, <laughs> you know, uh, concierge um, artist space. And um, we think it's fantastic. And um, the bathrooms work and it's clean and, you know, the doors are locked and um, there are no homeless people living in there. And it's really, um, we think there's nothing wrong with it at all. Right. It's yeah. I'd say that cool. it's, uh, it's been really beautifully maintained. The um, the staff that works there, uh, that does the maintenance, small team, but they do an extraordinary amount of work. They're really awesome and so personable and, and easy to to make any requests. They're very accommodating. Um, the building itself, yeah, I haven't noticed any any obvious disrepair. Is it old? Yes. Um, the the space I'm in currently was, you know, the building's uh, administrative offices back in the day, and it's it's kind of a unique space, but. The windows are those those beautiful old loft building windows. Um, are they old? Sure, they they still work. Um, the heating's a little wonky in the building, but it's nothing that you can't deal with. I'm sure there's more modern buildings, but I would say I would not call the building like decrepit or falling down by any means. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Interesting. There's a lot of discrepancies about: is it an artist building? Is it in disrepair and falling down? Is it? One thing the 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 exterior they haven't done a lot to upgrade it, and they actually have some good reasons they can't because on the side facing the railroad tracks is only about six feet between the side of the building, and they say literally cannot get in there to do anything. So they didn't do anything overall. Mm-hmm. But the interior looks fine. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I was extraordinarily impressed when I walked in there, and still am every day. 
Let's move to talking about what we're doing now and relocation, etc. So um, for folks who don't know, the Art Stacier Coalition and the artists at 119 Braintree put together uh, different advocacy campaigns. Uh, we met with um, Councillor Braden, we met with the Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture, BPDA, etc. And through various talks and negotiations, etc., Bracken Development has agreed to give $1 million towards relocation, which is, you know, great and we appreciate it. Uh, etc. So we have um, hired a real estate agent, we have a development partner who's advising us, and we've been uh, searching for and looking at all kinds of different properties. And we have a list of criteria, you know, the, of the things that we need. And it seems that uh, with every property that we visit, it may have only one or two of the, you know, eight or nine criteria that we currently have or desire or require. And um, also that there is um, very little for sale in the city of Boston where the funds must be used that could accommodate the artists and that the rents could remain in the similar area that they have been. So what I'm illustrating here is that it's a huge, tall order to move an artist community within Boston proper, really with any dollar amount, never mind a limited dollar amount, have the accessibility that these folks have built businesses on and built community in and to have things like access to MBTA or parking, etc. Um, we've been, you know, we've looked in Hyde Park, we've looked in Dorchester, different parts of Dorchester. Um, uh, we saw one building um, in Alston Brighton and this was not for purchase, this was for lease, but it required $300,000 worth of putting in sprinkler systems and subdividing and it didn't have an elevator and it the first floor didn't have windows ethan if you remember we went saw that dorchester ab spot that was like totally raw and in no way uh ready we've seen properties on one side of dorchester that you know have the uh, potential to be great but are so far out that it's practically milton and you know not super accessible to the t Let's talk about relocation. Let's talk about the thoughts you've had and moving as a group versus moving individually and how to balance all of that. Lisa. That's a big question. I, you know, I think everyone of you said, you know, the nine things that are important, you know, everyone's going to have their different top three, right? So, you know, for us, the parking, you know, as we know, actors are underpaid and we call them in all day long. The fact that they can come and park for free and audition or take their class and leave is super important for us because a parking garage, you know, in downtown Boston for just a small chance at an audition it doesn't seem fair. I don't know. Location for us, too, is super important, you know, accessible to lots of people throughout the state. Yeah, I like the idea of relocating with some of the artists, obviously, because we formed relationships with each other. And they're, you know, what's left of our community, I think, is worth trying to preserve, even if it's um, bringing in others as well. But it's it's hard to find a building that will suit everyone's needs, for sure. It's been really challenging. I've only been in uh, shared uh, artist buildings, and um, I love the community of uh, uh, fellow creatives. Um, I can't even imagine being in a building full of dentists and accountants or something like that. Um, if I had to, I might consider it. But um, also the uh, permitting of the space, 
eliminates a lot of spaces for me. I just, um, uh, those of us who actually do stuff and make stuff uh, set up a whole bunch of criteria that most landlords don't want to have to do with, like sound or dust or smelling paint dry or you name it. So that's, that's quite important to me. Um, and David, and can you also, I know that many of you have also looked for properties on your own individually versus, or in addition to the stuff that we've been looking at as a group. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've looked at several spaces, uh, some of which seem possible, but um, nothing nothing really hit all, ticked off all the boxes like the place we're in now. And um, we've, we're just in a holding pattern. I've, I've, I'm curious to see where things go with this coalition, and I'm willing to hold off uh, the search for a little bit and use this time to consolidate what we have and make ourselves as mobile as possible so we can we can adapt to wherever we have to go. But I'm, I'm also hoping, I, I think rather naively, that uh, that this project doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I don't think anybody has looked more than I have. I spend weekends, nights. I've looked at hundreds of properties to buy, to lease. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on legal fees in towns trying to get through the permitting thing. Uh, it seems some towns endless. I just, after in Waltham, for example, after spending uh, close to $10,000, I just abandoned trying to buy one place. Um, and I just have not found a community um, that's affordable, that'll allow us in, um, anywhere. And um, I've taken a break from my own mental health over the last two months. It's just, it's, it was wearing me down, quite honestly. So I'm very supportive of what Art Stays Here uh, is doing. Uh, I can't commend them enough for all that they're doing. Um, and Lisa, you've looked at some spaces individually. Yeah, I think just, you know, the the affordability for us, it's, you know, our business is either we're really busy or it's, you know, completely dead right now. There's a strike. We have no work at all. So, you know, taking on a tremendous rent would be foolish. Um, so we, you know, we've seen, we want to stay in the Alston Brighton, you know, the Guest Street, Boston Landing, you know, it feels like our home. We've been there for over 20 years. A lot of, you know, actors meet there. It's kind of what what they associate with our industry. So we kind of want to stay in in that area for a number of reasons, but have yet to find anything comparable financially or the actual physical space. Mm. Yeah, and so I can also share some information, which is the, the coalition, like I mentioned, we've hired a realtor, we have a development advisor, we're looking at properties all over the city. And last week, we found out that there's a delay in the development, and that the um, tenants are allowed to stay until June of 2024. Uh, right now, it's August of 2023. So um, that might sound like a year or a long time, but between trying to find the right thing and work with the city on trying to get the relocation money, et cetera, et cetera. It's been really hard. Not everyone's going to be happy and not everyone's going to move to the same place. And I think as a group, everyone has been for a group relocation, if that's possible and if it meets the needs. The fact that we may not be able to get what we want or need means that certain people may not go. Certain people during these conversations, a certain artist have moved to other communities we have one 
artist Anne-Marie. She moved to Western Ave in Lowell, which is very far, but a wonderful artist community. Our friend and colleague Karen Moss was able to move to Miller Street in Somerville. Lots of people have just taken their work into their home for those who have either larger homes or don't require a lot of space. And Wayne, I've heard you say number of times that this may be potentially the end of your business. Unfortunately, I, I hate to even think about it, but still have a few more good years left. <laughs> <laughs> well, that meaning these spaces are so unique and they're so valuable and they're so necessary that if we want artists and creatives in our communities, we need to, as a group and as citizens, decide to choose that we want that. And we have to stand up for it. And, you know, there's lots of different ways that, you know, we have um, an online petition called the RAP, which is the Regional Artist Protections and Policies. You can go to the artsdaysheres.org and sign that petition. If anyone out there is listening and you have property that you think might help us, you can go to artsdaysheres.org, write to us. Lots of people have been. I guess let's uh, have a last uh, closing questions about what would you tell um, a younger person that this was happening to or like what would you not only what would you advise people but the other part of the question is what's your ask like if you were if you were sitting in a room of arts funders or you were sitting in a room with the governor or you were sitting in a room with the mayor um, you know 5,000 area residents like what what as a group or individually would you say help us with this, or please do that. I'd say recognize the value that artists and creative businesses bring to the community. Um, Open studios are an example of that. It's a chance for people to come in and see for themselves, but artists also, you know, beautify the community with murals and whatnot. Um, We do events. Uh, You can partner with schools. I've done tons of volunteer work around, you know, creative stuff um different places so yeah just see us as a, the, the valuable people that we are to the community and make space for us make us a priority david uh similarly i would say that we are part of the community that it isn't simply our loss if we're gone it affects um everyone around us other businesses they, they need us and, you know for, for us um ironically we are being displaced um in such a way that we buy, buy businesses that, that actually need us. So a lot of our work is for life sciences. We do filming in labs and we've had people come into our studio. Uh, we can't serve them if we get knocked out of town. Lisa? For me, I think there was just no, oh, here's an idea for in the meantime for you. And here's an idea of how you could come back into our space or, you know, it, it was just kind of this left hanging that I, f- I felt we were all kind of just left, you know. So you would have liked more communication yeah. about the process. Maybe, yeah, and and some ideas of, you know, maybe some research. Here's some some spaces looking for tenants like you guys, a, a temporarily or permanently or here's what, you know, what we've found that could help you potentially. Wayne? I know I left a meeting uh, before this taping and I'm going to one afterwards and I have people in my studio constantly. Uh, The work I do is bridges art and science and I'm very, very involved in education of both. I constantly have from children to adults in my space uh, talking about and showing them dynamic examples of all these things and uh, 
I think all of us in this room and in our whole building are connected to the communities very strongly. We're teaching, we're providing the arts, we're, particularly for kids getting them off their cell phones and, and actually showing them real opportunities in the real world. I, we do uh, do this and we're not making, none of us, I think, in this room a lot of money doing it. And uh, we would continue to like to give of ourselves and uh, avail yourself, those of you who, who do have the wherewithal, to help us find a space. That's the one thing we just are unable to do ourselves. We can't afford it. As I say, we're of modest means. We're, as a profession, probably of the most modest means in, in the city, but we do provide an awful lot back to the city. I'd also like to point out to listeners that if you go to um, artsboston.org, which is um, a nonprofit organization in Boston, they have something that's called the Arts Factor, which is legitimate research that's been done in terms of the economic impact that the arts have had on the state of Massachusetts and greater Boston. One of the things that they say is that the arts overall have the ripple effect of someone going to the theater or going to a movie or visiting a museum or a gallery between transportation or parking or going to dinner or this, that, you know, et cetera, shopping uh, while you're in town um, equals more economic impact than all of the sports combined. And, um, you know, Christina uh, Tedesco, who is part of our coalition, um, what she talks about all the time is, for her, why she's involved with doing this work is wanting to make sure that communities value artists. And what does that mean? Does that mean we need subsidy? Does it mean we need help? Does it mean we need protected zoning for artist spaces? You know, there's a whole bunch of different things, but you know, really understanding the value. And um, another thing that arts value uh, is to our community, and it's talked about uh, in grant applications all the time, is the ability to bring people together, the ability to communicate about difficult things like the pandemic, like race, like loss, like, um, God, every single topic is depicted in art, whether it's, you know, TV, movies, paintings, uh, plays, books, photography, etc. And I think our arts community hasn't come together in an advocacy way enough to say, help us too, and uh, support us too, and raise your hand. And, you know, we need help. We need people helping and choosing for us to be here. So those are the questions that we have. Does anyone want to share anything else? Is there anything that we left out? Does anyone want to share anything hopeful? <laughs> um, you know, it's pretty sad and depressing a lot of the time. I feel hopeful that we're organizing. I feel grateful for Art Stays Here Coalition and all you're doing to help us. And I hope that the movement continues to grow. So I think there's reason for some optimism in that regard, that maybe with our voices um, brought together, we'll, we'll have more of an impact than we have in the past as a community. You may want to be thankful for Boston's bureaucracy. It has allowed us to stay this extra year or two. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's true. One time it works in our favor. Yeah. Had you known three and a half years ago, you could just chill for a bit. <laughs> uh. David, Lisa, anything you'd like to add or anything hopeful? Well, uh, certainly grateful for all the work um, that you folks have done. And uh, I think that in the process of coming together, I, I think I see a path. Um, for artists, businesses like ours to work together. I don't know what the future holds for, for us, but I think that 
seeing that article um, on the front page of the Globe reminded me that when you work together, you actually you can have a voice. What uh, David is referring to is uh, this past Sunday, August sixth, I think it was. There was a big story about arts and music and cultural displacement, and it was actually on page one of the Boston Globe. And I don't mean page one of yeah. the arts section. I mean page one of the Boston Globe. The Sunday Globe, um, too. Sunday, Sunday Globe, um, which was yes. pretty amazing. Uh, it was written by Malcolm Gay, and you know you can Google Boston Globe, Malcolm Gay, Artist Displacement, and you can learn more about what we're talking about in some of the other communities that we've been helping with, and that this is a decades-long countrywide problem, and it's just heartbreaking. Um, something I... I'm wondering if maybe somebody wants to talk about whether or not organizing a tenants association preemptively, like, you know, would you like, you know, one of the questions is, you know, what would you advise younger Mm -hmm. artists, small businesses or what have you? Had we known? Absolutely. Right. Well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, let's say you don't know, let's say there's nothing (laughs) on the horizon, but you're in one of these buildings that's left. It's hard hard enough to motivate people when it's imminent that you're going to be pushed out. I mean, it's still uh, pulling teeth over Braintree to get people involved, unfortunately, mm-hmm. even after all this time and pleading with them that this is your future. Um, so I don't know if you would be able to do it preemptively unless there's something like a commercial gun to your head to get them to do it. Well, had had something already been in place at 119 Braintree Street when I moved in, I would have said, sure, I'll join. Mm-hmm. Why not? What do I have yeah. to lose? So maybe that is something that we should all be thinking about. And if there, if we have a building, just I think somebody just needs to start it and then just sign people up as they they get on. Mm-hmm. You know, one one thing uh, was on your list of questions. Uh, what would we say to potential uh, money developers and whatnot? Who uh, is you've got a really uh, responsible, serious community of their artists, but they're business people. Good. Uh, long uh, tenants well known for paying their rent and being responsible um, we'd be a, a great tenants if you have a, a, a building mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. built in and there yeah. are uh, hundreds of us not just in Braintree but mm-hmm. throughout the city mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we bring a lot of foot traffic mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always like to think mm-hmm. that is there a coffee shop because people were you know that mm-hmm. patronizing that Dunkin Donuts at the stop and shop you know it's I, I I agree I think that as a group we add a lot of value mm-hmm. um, to to any neighborhood or building for sure and um, artists and creatives and musicians have been displaced so much so often throughout our region um, that the kinds of properties and the conversations we're having on folks behalf is we're looking you know in some cases to purchase so that you know ownership is really the path to this not happening again meaning if artists or the city or nonprofits own property then we can decide um, that they are artist use in perpetuity and prevent displacement in the future um, because certainly private property can people can do what they want with and so we've been looking at purchase options but when we've been looking at lease options we've been saying 
we want 30 year leases. And people look at us like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, because this work is so hard to organize everyone and for the artists to relocate and move and reestablish businesses. Like we don't want to do it every three years. We don't want to do it every five years. We don't want to do it every 10 years. Like we don't ever want to do it again. So if anyone is looking for long lease, uh, excellent tenants, you know, the artists are, we're here. Amen. Amen. Word. Try to live that long. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, great. So um, thank you, everyone, for the participation. And yay. <laughs> Thanks for everything you've done, Thanks, Amy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. David, thank we're going to let you go. David, okay? All right. Thanks, folks. Yep. Thank, thank you. Bye. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Art Stays Here podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. You can listen to all of the episodes from our website, artstayshere.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our partners, New Alliance Audio, New Alliance East, and The Record Co. And thank you for the funding from Boston's Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture. Join the movement at artstayshere.org.